This is Romans uh, chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. The word of the Lord. Amen. And let us... Um, confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. All together. We believe in one God, Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge, to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Let's welcome Alexa as she comes up. I've been turned off, so... You've been turned on. <laughs> that was it. That was the switch. Transition. Yeah. Please pray for you. Okay. Father, we thank you for this woman of God. We thank you for the gift that she is to our community. The gift that the wow checks are to our community. And we just pray that as she opens the scriptures to us today, that your spirit would speak through her, mm -hmm. that you would move, that you would have freedom. That you would bring words of life to our hearts and refresh the weary. We pray that you would anoint her, 
beautifully and powerfully now by the grace of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, so if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to that passage uh, from Romans, which is in Romans 8 today. And yeah, when I was flipping through the list of lectionary passages for this week, I just had a deep sense of resonance with this one from Romans, um, specifically this idea of groaning. Um, I feel like Paul articulated this general underlying sense that I've been carrying in this season. And now groaning often kind of denotes this sense of pain or despair. Um, It's a a sound that can come from an object that's under a lot of pressure. Some other synonyms to groaning may be to moan or to whine, uh, to creak or to cry. And now part of my own inward groaning is due, due just to some mild challenges in our family season of life right now. But part of it goes much deeper than that. And I think if you're in conversation with people around you, you will also get this sense that there's just this underlying creaking um, (laughs) underneath us all. Um, This sense of that might come from pain or fear, um, distrust, or other experiences of brokenness in our world um, that just kind of stays there. And we get these moments that we're lifted from it but then it just comes right back. So it kind of feels like, um, yeah, it's just that sense that things still aren't as they should be. And so what the Spirit was highlighting to me as I was spending some time in this passage is just this depiction of um, humanity and creation groaning together in this kind of pain of existence while we wait for the fulfillment of our redemption. And now that's already begun in Christ, but it's not yet come to its full completion. And that's what we often refer to as this idea of the already but the not yet. And I think that's the tension, the groaning that we feel uh, in much of our day-to-day lives. So now if you've been hanging around with us for a while, you will know that I essentially can't do a sermon without referring to the church calendar. So here's your liturgical lesson of the day. Um, So like I said, as I was spending time in this passage, um, I was just reminded of the church season that we're in right now. And so if you're new to kind of this idea of a church calendar or liturgical calendar, um, it's essentially kind of these different rhythms uh, throughout the church year that help us make sense of the time and that um, help give us kind of a grounding to what's transpiring and it helps carry us through the gospel uh, throughout the entire year. So similar that, you know, our uh, cultural calendars are marked by things like Christmas and Easter. And again, those ones are shared with the church. Um, But Valentine's Day, whatever, (laughs) you know, name your holiday. There's these markers that kind of bring us into... um, yeah, a particular mood and mark a particular moment. And so that's the same with our church calendar. And so the season we're in right now is referred to often as the season after Pentecost or ordinary time. Now, those are both slightly lackluster names um, for a really significant season. You know, it's like we kind of get the excitement of Pentecost and then now we're just in the season after Pentecost. But Um, With that, like I said, it's actually a really significant season because it's a season in the church um, that's meant to kind of push us into discipleship. And again, when, if you kind of know the the whole narrative of scripture, 
we've had, like, Christ has come, he's died, he's risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit has come, the church is established, and if you're familiar with scripture in the Christian history, then you know that everything was perfect after that, there was no challenges, uh, everything was fixed and completed, and we all lived happily ever after. But of course, that is not true. <laughs> um, so what you see in the early church, and I think through the story of the church, is this outworking of the reality of this adoption that has taken place, of this redemption that has come through Christ. And again, I think that's what we're experiencing in this groaning. Um, so with that in mind, um, we're going to work through our passage, and admittedly, we're going to kind of work through it backwards, so bear with me. Um, but yeah, let's see kind of what Paul has for us here today. So my first question for us is where does this groaning stem from? What is the cause of this moaning, the source of the pressing that's in us? And so in verse 23, Paul suggests that this groaning flows forth from, um, from us as we wait for our adoption as sons and daughters of God. Now, you might be thinking, hasn't this, already been taken, hasn't this already taken place? Hasn't Christ already taken care of this? And even in Paul's letter up until this point, the, the answer is yes. But as the theme of adoption is so prevalent in Scripture, I think we have to think about the realities that surround that. Now, as many of you may know, my husband Adam is adopted, and he was adopted as a baby. And learning from his experience has really helped me kind of connect to this theme of adoption throughout Scripture. And one of the things him and I were talking about the other day is just the reality of when he was adopted, um, there was like this legal transaction that took place where he was um, brought into a new family for guardianship and for care. Um, but if you talk to anyone who uh, has any experience around the idea of adoption, you will know that that's just the beginning of it. The process of actually becoming integrated into a new family takes time. Um, it takes time for the fullness of what was given to you in that adoption to actually become a reality in your life. And, um, and so, yeah, it takes time for the, the ushering of this fullness to exist. And so for Adam, uh, on the day he was adopted, he became a Wochuk. But it took years for him to actually begin resembling a Wochuk, uh, to actually carry the characteristics of a Wochuk and what that meant, and to experience the fullness of what that day specifically meant. And I think that's very much how we experience life, that um, through what Christ has done, we're adopted into his family, into this new reality. But this groaning and that tension uh, continues to reside there because there's just this working out of the, the fullness of that adoption actually happening. And I think it's interesting here that Paul, when he talks about this process of adoption, um, he speaks of it as the working out of our redemption, and specifically the redemption of our bodies. Now, I want to spend a small moment just talking about the term body and how it's used here. So in the history of the church, um, there's been various swings from kind of a dualistic understanding of the human being, of body and spirit being really separated. Um, and often in that, there has kind of been this elevation of, of the soul or the spiritual life. And the physicality is kind of seen as less than or secondary. Um, and to be honest, a lot of Paul's work has sometimes been misused in that way when he talks about the spirit and the flesh. 
Um, but the whole narrative of scripture po- points to a much more integrated understanding of the self, where the spiritual and the physical are so deeply woven together that there's actually not a way to pull them apart and to separate them. And so often when Paul is speaking of the flesh in kind of the, te- the passages leading up to this point, he's talking about kind of this more carnal nature within us. And that's a broken part of us. And it's that carnal nature that kind of oozes out this other stuff that affects the people around us, that affects the world around us, um, which is something we're going to talk about a little bit more in a minute here. Um, But that's the part that kind of needs the redemption to take place. And so when, um, when we get to this point in the passage and Paul's talking about our bodies being redeemed, it's not just a physical thing, it's, I want you to read that as like the whole self, so every part of us, so yes, there's a physical component, but there's also a spiritual component, and it's meant to be the redemption of our entirety, Um, and you can imagine that if the entirety of us uh, becomes changed and transformed and redeemed, there's going to be a new outpouring that comes from that, and I think that's really significant Uh, as we look further into this passage. And I think, you know, this this understanding of of us being these kind of integrated people has, um, it's become, I guess, a bit more mainstream to actually acknowledge that. And, you know, even in our healthcare world and in sciences, um, if anyone's familiar with the book, The Body Keeps the Score, uh, just this idea that actually the experiences we have in life are really deeply carried in our bodies and that that does affect kind of the outpouring um, that comes from us. And so um, I think what Paul's getting at here is he's just really speaking to how great this redemption is and that we're waiting for this kind of whole um, redemption of who we are to take place. And so now I kind of want to tie back this idea of redemption and our whole person, physical beingness, back to this theme of adoption. Because the redemption we experience through adoption fundamentally changes who we are, and through our adoption, we are um, instated as heirs. So again, in the verses leading up to this passage, um, we, we read about becoming heirs of God, heirs alongside Christ. And um, I want you to think about an heir for a moment. Um, An heir is how we typically think about someone that uh, receives an inheritance. And with that usually comes also a rank, particularly in more ancient contexts. So in God's process of adoption, we become heirs of his kingdom in which we inherit both riches and responsibility. And now when we think of an heir today, I think we often just focus on the riches part, kind of the gaining of assets, um, you know, house, money, whatever it may be. When we think of inheritance, we tend to kind of be one-tracked there. But throughout most of history, an heir, there was um, this understanding that an heir received um, this inheritance, that it had these goods associated with it, but it also... um, invited them into kind of this place of leadership and responsibility. So do I have any Downton Abbey fans out there? Oh, yes. So glad. Um, So um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the show Downton Abbey, it's a historical drama set in the early 20th century, and it depicts the lives of an Aristotic... Oh, my gosh. 
at thank you, that's what I needed, um, aristocratic family um, in the British countryside. And one of the key plot lines early on is this idea of who's going to inherit the state. Uh, the estate. And of course, you know, they're talking about money and the implications of that. But I was so struck when I was watching this particular episode, how what was actually of greater concern to them was who was going to lead the household so that it could continue to serve and bless the community that it was part of. Um, Because, yeah, in the show and in um, these typical kind of... uh, larger home systems, these homes employed people, they provided meaningful work, they supported community events. In Downton Abbey, you know, the house becomes a hospital during the war. And please don't hear me kind of um, trying to glorify the heiress. Thank you. I'm just going to stop with that word, but you all all got me. Um, That I'm not trying to glorify that because there was obviously a lot of abuses and misuse and power and whatnot. But just that idea that an heir also had responsibility, that there was actually, especially when someone was an heir of, of virtue or had good character, that that would actually have implications for everyone in the surrounding region. It wasn't just about them receiving an inheritance. It was an inheritance that was intended to bless and grow and impact the community around them. And so I think that's important for us to understand because sometimes we can get a little too personal of I've received this, this is good for me. Um, But with that, uh, there is this intent that it's meant to go from you and to spread from you. Um, And an heir carries this responsibility uh, of leading in the world and of stewarding this incredible inheritance. So that... That's all kind of my pre-ramble that now gets us to kind of the heart of our passage. So I think um, I have verses 19 to 23 that can go up on the, the screen now. So now with these ideas of adoption and being an heir in mind, I want us to just reread um, this chunk of the passage here. So it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from the enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together the pain of labor, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So, if I spend some time looking at the root, we've spent some time looking at the root of our own groaning and why this groaning might be taking place in our lives. But the majority of this passage actually speaks to creation's groaning um, and its uh, eager awaiting and longing for the reality of our adoption to take place. That is, for us to become redeemed heirs. But why would this matter to creation? And I want to ask you, do you agree with this? Do you get the sense that creation is also groaning around us? Have you ever thought much about creation being enslaved? Have you ever considered how that slavery might have actually come about? So I want you to think back to Genesis 3 now and the biblical account of the fall Adam and Eve sin, and their sin results in a curse that fractures this relationship with the land. 
um, and it's the land that they'd been given rule to that they were supposed to steward and grow. And when we read the fulfillment of God's coming kingdom of the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21 and 22, it ends with an account of Eden's restoration, which includes in Revelation 22:3 that there is no longer any curse. So without being able to spend an entire sermon season on this and trace this theme all the way through the biblical narrative, I think it's just important that we capture um, that the created... Uh, the re- sorry, the breakdown of our relationship with creation and that the created order was um, affected through the fall and through man's sin coming into the world. So its presence at both the beginning and the end of the story is no accident, and perhaps it's worth giving a little further consideration to what's going on in the middle here. So given that the created order that God established in the beginning, this means that sin entered the world and that could it be that creation um, can only experience redemption by way of our redemption, the way of our adoption as sons and daughters? Does our adoption and therefore our heirship have implications on the rest of the created order? I think Paul might be suggesting that it does. Now, in light of the entirety of Paul's letter and the specific section of which this passage concludes, Uh, which is ultimately speaking to the hope that we can have through receiving this free gift of grace uh, through Christ. I don't want to over-argue that this passage is one that champions a strong need for consideration of our role in creation care, Um, but I also don't think we can ignore this aspect of it, and that perhaps there's um, kind of this whole piece of God's whole redemptive plan that we're maybe a little prone to ignore and to not think about, Um, I think what Paul's getting at here is that our redemption should affect how we engage the physical world around us, and that it it does. (laughs) And so, um, and and with that, again, I think Paul is speaking to this whole bigger idea that um, ultimately both our sin and our redemption in the world, uh, it greatly affects everything around us. And he's speaking to how big both that sin and that redemption is. Um, But as heirs, we've received these great riches and this great responsibility. And so what happens with us flows out of us. And the implications of that is not only to the people around us, but also to the rest of creation. That which was entrusted to us in the beginning and which we are foretold will also be renewed in the fullness of the kingdom uh, when it comes to fruition at the end. And so by this, I think we can actually understand what Paul's saying when we're saying that we're groaning together, that there is this shared groaning. And I think that's even why we feel it, again, physically like around us. We feel it in our bodies. We feel it in our world um, because it's not just me groaning about my things. Um, there's this, the, the brokenness goes so far beyond that. Um, but with that, the redemption goes beyond that too. Um, and I think that is the, the hope that we can receive from this is that God's redemption is going to touch those areas of, of pain in our own lives, and it's going to continue to move from there. And we see that this redemption is for all of the world, 
for all of humanity, for all of creation, um, that God wants to bring us back into that um, intended relationship and, and intended union. So like I said earlier, um, this section of scripture comes to us as part of the conclusion of Paul's case as to why we can have hope amidst our suffering, because the future glory will be far greater than these present sufferings. Our groaning comes uh, from having tasted what is to come, just as those hunger pains that we sometimes get get a little stronger when the food's like right in front of you. Anyone else had that recently where, (laughs) you know, it just, it kicks in so much more. And so I think as we experience uh, this groaning, it can be a reminder to us that, um, that God is actually near and that he's actually doing something. I love the other image from this passage talking about the groaning of childbirth. Um, Many can attest to the fact that the closer a woman comes to giving birth, the more intense the contractions become. The pain gets greater. Um, And there's this increase until finally new life breaks through and enters the world. And I think sometimes as we journey through life, we we kind of assume it should be the opposite. Like the closer we get uh, to the kingdom of God, that it should start to feel smoother and easier but you just see these themes again and again of scripture of before the breaking through, there is this, this tension, this building, this groaning. And so I think that groaning actually kind of speaks that we're moving in the dire- right direction. Um, and I think most parents um, who have given birth to a child could also tell you that all of that pain was worth it on the other side. That the new life that comes, um, there is so much joy and goodness there. Um, that the, yeah, the pains of childbirth were worth it all. So, yeah, I want you to think about if you have a vision for this new life that is being ushered in. Um, Do you understand what your groans are about, what creation's groans are about, and why those seem to still exist and linger among us? Uh, In this season... As I said earlier, um, and another name I forgot to mention is that it is also called the season of kingdom tide in some traditions. And it's this idea of a season of focusing on God's kingdom coming. Um, it's a season of growth and maturation. Um, and it's a time where we just give it this extra attention to the working out of God's redemptive plan. Uh, in our waiting, the realities of God's kingdom to come into the fullness um, it's a season of working out our adoption. And I hope we see why we groan, why we so deeply experience uh, kind of the disjointedness of this world. And I want to invite you to bring that groaning um, before God this morning. Uh, today is a service of the word, which means we're not going to be sharing in the Eucharist today. So we'll have a little extra time um, to just be in sung worship and to be in prayer. And I think this can be a moment of whenever, or if, if there are groans that you are carrying from this disjointedness, to just bring that before God right now, uh, to invite him into it, to know that, again, he himself has experienced that groaning. Um, even when we think about this idea of waiting for the kingdom to come, have you ever thought about how much God has had to wait <laughs> for his kingdom to, to fully come? Um, if there's anyone who has kind of carried uh, that sense of pressure and groaning, um, it is him. And so 
to finish us off here, I actually just want to go um, read Romans 8, verses 26 to 27. Because I think sometimes with this, we, um, yeah, it can leave us a little bit speechless. And so, anyways, Paul carries on after this passage and says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray, for we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So if you resonate with any of this feeling of groaning, uh, know that the Spirit comes and meets us there and intercedes in that groaning, carries that groaning with us, um, and is there to encourage us in this process of adoption. Um, And again, I know maybe talking about groaning might feel like a little bit of a downer, but remember that um, it's actually only there because we have been adopted. We have uh, entered into a new family. There is a new reality that's coming. And we're just we're figuring out the pieces as we go along the way. Um, and with that, God has given us this beautiful gift of the Spirit to come and be our partner and our helper uh, along the way there. And so... Um, yeah, I just pray that God's presence would come and meet you in that journey today and um, that there would just be a new uh, and fresh um, kind of encouragement in this process, in your own discipleship journey of whatever the Lord is working on in you right now, um, however he's seeking to mature you, uh, just that there would be a new life in there because uh, as much as you know, we're talking about the groaning of us in creation, we're also talking about this movement towards the kingdom of God, um, which is so beautiful uh, and so powerful. And so, um, yeah, I pray that the Lord would just lead you into that today.